Hello and welcome back again to Punks on the Pitch podcast, a show where alternative music meets the beautiful game. Um, again, as always, within football, things never seem to stop currently, especially with what's going on with the world. But positive news for us UK fans is that uh, apparently we're going to be allowed back in stadiums soon, which is good. But um, as always, not just going to be hearing my dulcet tones. I'm going to be joined by uh, a wonderful guest. This week I'm joined by writer and member of um, Wrexham Supporters Trust, Tim Edwards. Tim, thank you very much for for joining me. How are you? How's everything in your world? Good. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, things are good, as you can imagine. Um, all very exciting, all quite surreal. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, things things are starting to uh, to sink in a little bit now. Now the kind of the realization of of what's happening is hitting home. Um, a lot of us have had a, a lot of press requests. You know, just your average Joe like me and other people have just been asked for requests from from all manner of media, not just nationally but globally. So, yeah, it's um, it's nice for the spotlight to be to be shone on the town in a in a, in a positive light, and it seems to be a feel good story that's kind of. Um, you know, evolve beyond Rex and people are kind of jumping on it and thinking, you know what, it, it is kind of nice, you know, so even, yeah. even as, a, as an outsider that people are seeing it and, and they're seeing that the things that are happening around it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of cascading down and, and, and it seems to be, seems to be uh, running quite well at the moment. So long may it continue. And like, just from before we kind of get into it sort of in, in detail, like, has it been sort of surreal? Like, as you say, like not just people like yourself, but like other people that are members of the supporters trusts, like just kind of having this kind of global spotlight, like on the town, on the team and things like that. Cause like for my perspective, like Wrexham's always kind of been a team that's always been a sort of like in the lower sort of tiers of, of the football league, but have never kind of been sort of a, t- a team to shout about. No, like no disrespect sort of thing, but has it been strange to be kind of caught up in this this media whirlwind? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you're a, a supporter of a certain age, as I am, you, you tend to sort of focus on the positive times and, and the, you know, the, the, the FA Cup runs, and you know, you will know of the of the time we beat Arsenal, and probably no doubt yeah. you know that one. Um, but you know, past glories, I guess, and, and few and far between. So it's kind of nice for it to fall on us. And people are going, oh well, it's it's a project. Well, yeah, it is on the outside looking in. But from from what um, Ryan Reynolds and Ron McKelleny have said from the outset, is that it's much more than that. It's much more about growing out the club, growing out the community. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's easy to be cynical about it. Of of what <laughs> yeah. have been in the past, but all all signs point to this being a very very positive thing for everybody, both for them as. As, as guys of a high standing with with very good um, you know personalities and, and and all of their press tends to be good. You'd struggle to find a bad thing said about them. So mm. I can't imagine they're going to want to get this wrong, really. So yeah, it's nice to to have you know the eyes of the sporting world on your little club briefly. And yeah, we we have been knocking around in the echelons of of, of the lower leagues for far too long. Um, you know, we think we've we've never been in the championship in my lifetime. We've been in League One, the sort of championship, you know, 
era is sort of late 70s so just yeah being born really so there's there's genuine hope that that we could we could get back to those dizzy heights you know so um <laughs> yeah. but anything we'll do at the moment just getting out of the national league would be nice because this is our 13th season out of out of uh, the football league and it's um probably about 12 seasons too long if i'm honest yeah well before we kind of go a bit deeper into it how i kind of always just to start this off just to to cross the the barriers of punk and and football like have you been listening to anything that you want to shout about at the moment that you um, in terms of music, to? yeah. Um, God, where do I begin? There's, there's lots. There's, there's a lot of weird stuff. Bizarrely, um, the the new Killer Be Killed album, which I know it's not strictly any sort. I fucking love that record. So it's good. so good. One of my friends commented before when I posted, he goes, "I wish Matt's Cavalera would start pissing around and do do a proper hardcore band." And it's like, well, <laughs> personally, I think it's probably his best work since Nail Bomb. If we're gonna be really, really um, sort of, you know, narrow-minded about it, I guess. But I mean, yeah, don't get me yeah. wrong. Some of the Soulfly stuff was good, um, and I kind of did enjoy the debut album. But maybe I dipped into the new metal things too much around that time. But I just think pound for pound, this this um, the Killer Be Killed thing should not just be a side, a super group thing. It should be a standalone band in its own right. Um, mm. So yeah, I, th- I just think he seems to have flourished Cavalera as just being not not the sole focal point, but to, sh- to share. Yeah, I agree. Um, like so- because he's not like the the lead member of it, so to say, he's kind of been able to to take a back seat and show like not not that he's never been able to show before, but like been able to sort of like integrate rather than like be the the focal point. Yeah, I think I think there was probably times where he was almost trying too hard to kind of recapture the the sepulture of glory days and obviously they did the whole Caballera tie up with, with the brothers playing you know the old stuff again which mm. was nice especially for 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 sort of the old diehard sepulture fans but I think this has just allowed him to express himself again and 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 do it in the right and proper manner. It's not just all about you know, top string goodness. He's actually, I just feel like he's, he's kind of um, cutting loose a bit more again. It's nice to see. So, so that's definitely up there um, in terms of listening at the moment. Um, new EP by a band called Chain Reaction from Belgium. Um, yeah. Next members of Congress, Rise and Fall. So if you're into all that sort of. Um, oh, I didn't realise it was yeah, Rise and Fall members. Really, really good. Um, they, they dropped an EP a few years ago um, and then kind of, sort of retreated back. I think COVID's probably put thing things on a bit hiatus, but they've just released a new EP um, and it's just really, really good. If, you, if you're into all that sort of, you know, Integ, you know, hate thousand sort of that kind of realm, then it's yeah your street really. It's just, it's just really good, really solid. And, you know, it's, it does exactly what it says on the tin, really. You know what you're going to get with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, six, seven tracks of what, 13, 14 minutes or whatever. So, yeah, those are the ones doing the rounds for me at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. That's not really. I think mainly those bits. There's, there's not really been much that that's crawled out of the woodwork and, and really sort of excited me in recent times. To be honest. Um, no, that's fair enough. But those are the main bits. Bankal Spirit Adrift as well. They've dropped the album, but that's kind of more into the the metal realm. So maybe I'm getting yeah. I'm getting old and I'm, I'm opening up my uh, horizons a bit more. I'm not so, <laughs> so narrow minded anymore. I think. That's fair. And the other thing I always like to ask is like obviously to the crossover for for people personally. So I think a lot of people have kind of said the community spirit within sort of 
punk and hardcore crosses over very much with football but for for you like what's what's the crossover for you do you see any kind of similarities especially with like being a supporter of a quote-unquote smaller team like do you see the the similarities with with the punk world and football yeah i think there's there's certain um elements of of diy obviously um because from a from, from a Wrexham point of view because the supporters trust took over the running of the club in 2011, I think. Um, you know, they said, look, we've had so many people come in and try and do us over and asset strip and this, that and the other. We'll take it on ourselves. That's pretty DIY. That's, that's, let's, let's go it alone. It's not without its pitfalls, but we've got no choice. If we want to keep the club alive and kicking, this is the route we have to go down. It's the only route we can go down at the moment, a safe route at least. There's a lot of volunteers at the club that will work their day job and then they'll work all the hours God sends into, you know, really helping Wrexham FC out, whether it's a lick of paint here to a lot of volunteers in the club shop, especially at the moment because shirt sales are through the roof because of what's <laughs> yeah. on. So there's been people who I heard the other day, some guy was saying he was trying to volunteer his time in and around after, after the lockdown. And they, apparently they, they, they told him, oh, we don't really need you at the moment. There's not really much mobilizing. And it's gone from that to, you know, 400, 400 500 shirt sales in a week, maybe less. Yeah. Average probably about 75 or less in a week. So so they've had... I see, so I saw, the, I saw on the club's Twitter, like, I think it was like the day after, like, the official announcement, they just had, like, sacks and sacks of stuff that they were taking to the post office. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice. It's nice to see. And, it, you know, it's... Like one of my friends said, I'm kind of sick of all these um, these Twitter accounts popping up from different parts of the globe. They've only been Wrexham bands for five minutes. And I get what people are saying because it's kind of like being a little baby for so long. It's like this. Yeah. But it should never it should never be an exclusive club for so many people. You've got to grow it out in the right and proper manner. Um, so th- there's always been that, that ethic about Wrexham. It's always been a, a very working class town. And that kind of reflects in the club. People will muck in where necessary and probably go above and beyond you know there's there's been times where the club has has, has nearly gone to the wall in the past and nearly been kicked out of the league and then some guy tipped up at the club shop with the deeds to his house and basically said you know what there's the deeds to my house there's the keys if that's going to if that's going to secure a bond to fulfill the the national league to, to, to allow us to continue playing in this division for, for next season and so be it there was kids like you know, tipping it with their piggy banks, you know. That's nuts. So it was, it was. You got the top end, of guy willing to give up his house, to the you know the bottom end of kids taking their piggy banks. But yeah, yeah, the answer is still the same, and it, it kind of shows how much um, a football club means to a community, whether it's Manchester City or Wrexham. You know, it's it, it's still a massive, massive part of, of of where they are, who they are, what it represents. And it really, it's a huge part of the fabric around here, that football club. Even the old guys in the pub have said, you know, oh, I used to watch them when they were great. But, you know, deep down, they still care. They still mm. give a shit whether they're not quite, they're, they're almost stubborn, too stubborn to kind of admit to it. But, you know, now, now the good times are potentially on the horizon again. I think you'll be surprised with how many will suddenly yeah come out of the woodwork yeah (laughs) Yeah. suddenly we'll stop becoming armchair fans and we'll get themselves down to the ground um so yeah yeah and just because like obviously 
as I mentioned at the top, like you are a member of the Supporters Trust and I know that you've done sort of other stuff within the club, but I just kind of wanted to kind of dig into that a bit more. Like what's, what do you consider your role? Because I know like you do a lot of writing around the club and, and things like that. So yeah, talk a bit more about what your role within it is. Um, well, it's cut a long story short. Obviously been a fan since probably the turn of the 90s, I think. Um, and then... I've always, I, I, journalism was a thing for me. That was that was my previous career. So I moved down to sort of Watford and moved away from home and did all the journalism thing I wanted to do. And when I moved back, I wanted to, to carry on the journalistic side, but with the football club. So I said, you know, do you want me to get involved um, with the press stuff? So I helped do sort of the, the match day things, you know, the match reports, the Twitter, the social media, very basic level. Yeah, I give, mm. I, I give up a bit of my time. Yes, I got into the, the match for free, but it, it felt like work because you were doing it for the club. And it, and, and, yeah, of course. And it was nice. And then after so long, um, I got a lot, a lot of other people in to, to kind of to grow it out. And I, I just felt that I wanted to do my own thing. There seemed to be a, a bit of a gap at the time. There was, there was a lack of any notable fanzine for the club. And rather than than tow the, the the official party line of a football club, I just thought, you know, I can't put a positive spin on a seven-two home defeat. I just can't. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I need to say it how it was, and 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 me littering an official match report with expletives and and and, and uh, condemnation probably wouldn't have it would have been maybe applauded in certain sectors, but it wouldn't have been good for the club. So I decided to do my own little fanzine, and I think I just created a, a Twitter account Christmas day in 2014 or 15 or something. And, and, and didn't think much of it. I just thought I wanted to start putting my own articles together and, and, and expressing how you feel, but in in a, in an articulated way, rather than just go, that was shit. It was appalling. <laughs> yeah. because, let's face it. Every football fan thinks they're an expert. Unless you've been there and done it at a reasonable level, I think it's hard to to say any of us are football experts. But just but just not, you know. I think there's a certain, no, no. I think there's a certain level of expertise, and you have to have been there and done it to say, you know what, I'm I know my 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 stuff. So we all think we're experts. You know, there's always some guy behind you who knows thinks he know knows more than you. Um, so I just wanted to to kind of offer a sort of webzine, and I did that, and then yeah, you know, it's just when time allows really getting, mm. getting a lot more engagement on the Twitter side now because of how things have gone, gone a little bit crazy the last few weeks. Um, and I may, I may look to do a podcast in the future. Um, so we'll see. It's something that I've, I've given thought about before, but never really dug deep too much into it. So I just need to be certain that it's going to be something that's going to benefit the club and, and that's going to have a, enough sort of, niche to it to coexist with other other sort of podcasts that that cover the club in a, in a kind of proactive um way but you know where yeah criticize where, where where necessary as well mm. and just before we kind of get onto the the whole hollywood deal at the moment like obviously prior and still is massive part of it is is the supporters trust and it is fan and run and fan owned and things like that and I just because you might have a bit more of a insider knowing of this than and than I do. So I'm a Portsmouth fan, and obviously, bef- like for a large period of our history, we were fan owned as well. And like, I think we were one of the first sort of like 
quote unquote top tier teams that was fan owned. Um, but it was kind of like a thing that I kind of looked at uh, a distance. But I know again with you being part of that world, like can you talk me through like what it is to be a fan owned club and what the kind of ins and outs are, or is that something that you're kind of again is is a bit at a distance? Um, I mean. I wouldn't know every facet and, and nuance of of being, um, you know. I, I was never, I've never applied to be a board member. There is a, a core set of, of supporters that join the supporters supporters trust board that make football decisions. Um, we as fans, you know, join the trust, and therefore you, by default, you become a co-owner of, of the football yeah. club, if you like. So, so you know, there, there was that aspect of right. We own our own club now the way it's panned out various assets have been separated so the university here own the ground but the, but the supporters just own the club so there's all these little sort of not factions but things that have been separated but in terms of going back to your question um it's 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 been kind of um liberating to feel part owner of your own football club yeah, no matter how minimal it is, or the fact that you may be one of, I think it's two and a bit thousand, um, paid members, if you like. So th- those that they were the the people that were eligible to vote on, on the whole takeover. So, you know, it, it was very much of a case. Well, you know what, we are owners. Let's see how it how it pans out. And, I think it's had a shelf life. Um. Like you said, Portsmouth have done it. I think Exeter have done it. And Wrexham at the time before going down the fan ownership route did a lot of due diligence. They spoke to a lot of clubs about how they found it and what was, what's worked well for them, what hasn't, where the limitations exist. And the limitations with, with a fan owned club in, in, in our respect, I imagine it might be the case for, for others, is the financial side of things. Um mm. So, you know, we we might have been not not having this conversation if Wrexham had gone up. If, I think was it two thousand and thirteen, and where we finished with ninety eight points, and finished second with ninety eight points, which is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Fleetwood went up with one hundred and three, and that was when Jamie Vardy was playing for them. So, you know, they had money to spend, and they spent it wisely, and and they got promoted. So. For every bad luck story, you know, there's there's been a kind of a good good luck story now with, with the one that's landed at our feet, you know, th- these past few weeks. Um, but in terms of the ins and outs, the Supporters Trust have done a lot of good work, a lot of good work. Um, they've had their detractors, they've had their, their criticism, quite rightly in, in some, some respects. Um, but I think any issues that they've had in the past will probably be offset by by getting this deal on the table and, and across the line, really. But mm. yeah, I mean, in short, fan ownership has had a lot of pluses in terms of you know keeping the club on an even keel, keeping it debt free. You know, we've given this club over debt free, which in the current climate in the league we're in is not to be sniffed at, really. You know. Yeah, yeah. And the fact we still get decent crowds for this level is. Um, you know, it's testament to, to what they've done. It's testament to the sort of the public of the town really that really want to see the team succeed. Um, despite, mm. you know, a long, what feels like a very 
lengthy 13 year winter in the abyss. <laughs> yeah. so um yeah it's, it, it's definitely it feels like it's 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 been and served its purpose i think i likened it to a a stable and warm relationship that's kind of like hit the rocks and, and maybe it's time for, for somebody <laughs> yeah. for a sugar daddy to come along and, and, and treat <laughs> it. that's literally the case that's a very very good way of putting it <laughs> um well if we get on to the the said sugar daddies then um obviously when this kind of deal came about like obviously as we've already mentioned it's made international headlines and things like that but from being in the, the world of Wrexham and within the club sort of thing, when did you start to hear the rumours and what was your kind of initial reaction when it was revealed that it was Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney? Um, I was just sitting home and I, I had an email drop in my inbox from the Supports Trust saying, if you haven't already paid your your fees for the, the, the coming year, please consider doing it. And then that went in tandem with a with a, an email that I dropped into my Twitter to say, um, there's rumours that there's an Americans interested in taking over the club. So I thought, I didn't think much of it at the time. I just thought, uh, it's another rumour. Who's going to want to invest in a club during a lockdown, especially one in the yeah. division? So it, it didn't seem to make any sense to me. Anyway, um, I, I don't know why, uh, maybe I had like a sort of flash, a light bulb moment where I thought, well, why are they so keen to get everybody signed up now by a certain date? So I thought something's, something's not, something's, something's happening, something's happening. So, mm. you know, I, I renewed my subscription, as did a lot of others. And then the next minute we're getting the, the usual thing dropping into us. Well, not the usual thing, but the more bizarre emails of, um, you know, there's been an approach and, and there's a non-disclosure agreement in place as to who um, the identities are, but it's of two, I think it was something like, you know, two uh, very well-known individuals of high net worth, I think was the was was the uh, the wording. So the rumour mill went into overdrive and everybody was thinking of well, who's rich and who's got links to Rex and that would, would conceivably put their hand in the pocket. And I think every, it went from... From you know Robbie Savage, local lad done well, yeah, yeah. definitely. A, you know he's a multi-millionaire, but to the point where he could take over a club successfully, probably not. And he's doing his thing in Macclesfield now, which is great for them, and um, and, and good for him. Um, so yeah, I think Russell Crowe was mentioned because his granddad was from the Wrexham area, so that was a, that was an obvious link, albeit slightly tenuous, but an obvious one. Um, and then. The, the trust voted overwhelmingly. All the trust members said, "Look, we, we want to know who it is." So they voted, and I think it was something like ninety-five percent. So then the names were released, and I think I was at work when somebody messaged me. I said, "It's Ryan Reynolds." It, it was just it, the word. The text was, "It's Ryan Reynolds." I was like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> there's, there's no way I was ever going to make that connection between it's Ryan Reynolds and my football club. There's just no way. Yeah. So then, yeah. you know, I thought, right. I, I, thought, I, I thought, is he dead? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? Um, so I fired up Ryan Reynolds into Google search. And the next minute, his name and Wrexham comes up. I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? And then the next minute, various messages start to, to filter through from people friends and family and i was like okay this is um this is much bigger than 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 we ever imagined it was going to be obviously we knew he who he was i knew less about rob but i knew 
about it's always sunny in Philadelphia and, and yeah, and that stuff is the wrong, longest running um sitcom in American history or something like that. So, so I did a bit of digging and I thought, wow. And like you know, the first one of the first things you do is find out what their net worth is. And um, <laughs> when it comes back that Ryan Reynolds has recently sold a, a stake in his gin company for six hundred million, you're thinking, well, they've got a bit of money. You know, one of them, <laughs> one of them's got at least got a bit of money. And it's been supplemented by somebody else. I don't know. So it was it was utterly jaw dropping. I'm sitting there reading it, and I and I'm I didn't know what to say. What can you say? It's you out of, out of anybody you could have plucked out of the air. You would not have picked. You you wouldn't have plucked those two at all. You know, mm. which then begs the question: Why them? Um. So you know, it it, it just. It just felt utterly, utterly um, disbelieving. It's like, nah, this this has got to be a wind up. Somebody's somebody's on the wind up somewhere. This could be like a really funny hoax at our expense. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, the club then released a statement saying, you know, it's these two. Um, <laughs> just 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 looking back to to that statement. And realizing who they were, even then, it just felt like this is so bizarre to see those names yeah. on a statement from the football club. Uh, it was just, it, it was just, you know, it's only really now where things are now began to sink, sink in, and that's largely down to their involvement in social media and and obviously their their kind of their mission statement and their their buyers pitch and so on. So, yeah, really, really odd, um, but it's got everybody buzzing. Not just, not just the town or the fans, but clearly the team. You know, we've we've gone on a bit of a run. We've started mm. to play well, and we're not conceding any goals, so that's nice. I was going to say four nil the other day as well, so it's yeah. clear, clearly has some kind of impact. But um, like from I tried to do a little bit of digging, and I couldn't find anything specifically. But have have they said like? Why Wrexham at all? Um, there, there was no obvious, obvious link. Um, Rob was going down the route of hit, it reminded him of Philadelphia, where he's from, in the sense that right. it's very community driven. It's a very blue collar, working class background. I think there was some sort of mention. I can't remember whose whose grandfather it was was a miner there's a strong mining heritage and history in Wrexham so the, you've got these slightly tenuous links um so Rob seemed to be the person who was you know we've done our research we've we've seen all the videos from the 70s and now everybody's going wild blah 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 whereas Ryan and Reynolds probably had more of his you know Rob was more the fanboy part of this and Ryan was more um, measured and was more right I've got my business head on we we think you're a, a sleeping giant. Um, you know what what club gets four or five thousand and upwards of eight thousand in the fifth division after thirteen seasons in non-league. You know there's something there, and then you've got the catchment area. You've got half a country to to a large extent, which is what's happened in the past with the only professional football club in North Wales that's playing in in, in the English league structure. So, you know. Many when Wrexham do well, people will travel far yeah. to watch them. It's just the way it is. Um, so they, they've kind of weighed up all this. Um, they're, they're, 
their advisors, their advisors had gone through Western Europe looking for a club that met that sort of criteria. Um, and somehow they, they sort of stumbled, <laughs> stumbled in, into us. <laughs> um, very much that whole community orientated club that's in the heart of the town. This isn't a club that's on the outskirts in a, in a retail park. This is a club that when you're going into the town centre, you pass the ground, and when you're coming out of the town, yeah, yeah, you pass the ground. So, um, so all these things started to add up in our brains. Maybe our brains just wanted them to add up and, and compute and, and make sense of it. Um, so yeah, the you know the, the the ignorant answer to to it was people saying why Wrexham, and we were saying well why not? But there is the small matter of a documentary which is going to be run alongside it. Um, so is is that confirmed? The it hasn't been confirmed um, by whoever's making it, but it's been confirmed by them during right, okay. the, the, the sales pitch or buyer's pitch, I should say. They said, "Yeah, we are documented it." I think Rob said, "Why shouldn't Wrexham feel the same about Wrexham the way Man U fans feel about Man United, etc." So mm. they, I think they've seen it with with certain documentaries with Sunderland and Leeds and Spurs, and, yeah, and, and Salford that. You know, I, th- I think some some guy did a story on if, if if they get like an hour's worth of content on Netflix, it, it, it equates to something like eight hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, like yeah. So even though there's no assets for them to to buy and then sell, there is something else, and, and if that's going to enhance their glowing reputations, whilst whilst also getting people to talk about our club, hopefully in a positive light, providing everything goes well, then great. Um, so that the, there's that's definitely happened in the documentary. I believe it's going to be Amazon. I believe it's going to be Amazon Prime. Um, but that's not been confirmed yet. But that's my understanding of it is that it will be them. So, yeah, fly on the wall documentary. Um, the management will have a say with how much intrusion there will be in terms of the dressing room and stuff. You know, because sometimes you can fall on your own sword in these situations. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. It's kind of one of those. It, it, it could be met with cynicism, like, well, are we going to be, you know, made out to look stupid? But then, you know, if you get if you find the right characters, of which there are many in Wrexham, it will make for compelling viewing. You know, I haven't seen the Sunderland documentary for ages, but I can remember the taxi driver who loved yeah, his Yeah, yeah. I can remember the, the guy who was watching it from his house because he couldn't travel all the way down because he's got his family. So you've got, you know, even to the people who work in the office. So you've got all these these characters that you might not remember by name, but you can suddenly go, I remember that guy from that documentary. So it's about picking the right characters that will bring something to, to the melting pot um, mm. that will hopefully make um, a compelling view and, um, and have it immortalized really, you know, forever. And have they kind of said, obviously I know at the moment it's not a possibility, but have they said that they want to kind of be at the race course regularly or like what's their kind of stance yeah, on, on that, sort of that, being at games? That was one of the, the kind of vanilla beige questions I asked in the, uh, in the, in the pitch. I was like, well, when, you know, when, when, when are they planning on coming over and how regularly are they planning on, on being here? Um, and I kind of half expected what the answer was going to be which was, of course, they do plan on coming once the pandemic has is, is, is kind of subsided or is over. Um, mm. And they plan on getting here as much as they can in and around their busy day jobs. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not like you can just hop on a plane and be there in half an hour. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. equate. Um, 
but the, the next step is to appoint the chief executive um, so that they can, can at least be that go-between and be the person who deals with the day-to-day -day football side of things. We've not had a, had a sort of chief exec for, for a while that really has his hand on, on things, you know, so we need that. The infrastructure will be grown out, the staff at the club will increase. There'll be a lot of volunteers there that would like to think will get paid jobs. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll get over as and when time allows, but they even said well, we can't wait to come and have a drink with all the fans in town. I'm not really sure what, they, what they're letting themselves in for. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to work out um, because the way it's, it's gaining traction, they're going to need, um, you know, it's probably going to be almost like some sort of, uh, you know, rock and roll royalty visiting the town. It's like, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be strange, but everything they've said in, in, their, uh, in their presentation and everything they've done since, it just it's it's all positive and it's all about doing the right things like rob paid six thousand pounds to a uh, yeah i saw a, that yeah to pay for a disabled fan and to have a, an adapted bath fitted in his new flat in manchester he's moved there to be close to his family and you know he, he had his care cut so they put like a bit of a crowdfunder together didn't think much of it i think it reached rob and he put the six thousand pound needed in overnight so, you know, it's yeah. it's little acts of generosity. Well, I say little. Um, it's 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 acts of generosity like that which can appease you and even win over the you know the most critical and, and um, cynical of, of fans at this mm. particular juncture, really. Yeah, and just one final thing before we kind of move on, but because you mentioned there, obviously you had the opportunity to kind of pitch a question to them, and and you were part of that sort of Zoom meeting that was with them. How surreal was that to be sat sat in there? Yeah, it's weird. It's, weird. It's, it's exactly where I'm sitting now, speaking to you. And I was just sat here, and I cracked open the laptop, and you know, you get your your, your invitation, and then you log on. And um, it was it was like it's so bizarre. It was like waiting for an operation. My heart rate was just creeping up through the roof. I was like, what? What's going to happen? We know what's going to happen, but what's going to happen? And um, so there was there was a guy from the media team who facilitated it. Um, yeah, and, and told us kind of about the order of order, the running order of how things were going to pan out, and then they said, "Right, we're going to hand you over to Rob and Ryan." You know, just like it's like your your neighbours or long lost cousins. Yeah, you know, it's like here they are. You're, you're now reacquainted, and then they just appeared, and it was just like, okay, you know, for me being me, I'm like, wow, the house is really nice. Like, I'd be surprised <laughs> at the rent. Big massive windows and lots of shrubbery outside, probably. Had visions of this giant mansion, in, you know, one in Canada and one in Philly or something. Um, and I think I said this the other day. Literally, after about five or ten minutes of getting ho getting over who was on my screen, it just felt like you'd spoken to him for ages, or it felt it felt like this this wasn't the first meeting. It was like the seventh or yeah. Anything. Just because they they, they have this um, remarkable ability to to make you feel. Um, like you've met before, basically, you know, there was no airs and graces. There was no, you know, enormous ego. It was just two guys sitting in front of a laptop, basically saying, you know what? We fully understand why you might be cynical of this. Um, but we're here to tell you that you've no reason to worry. And this is what we want to do. Um, you know, there was no look at me. I've got loads of cash. It was very, very much of a case of, well, here we are. We want to do something positive. Um, and let's, let's see what happens. So, Mm. it was weird um 
it was very, very weird to begin with. But like I said, five or 10 minutes in, it was, we were just engrossed, engrossed, kind of hanging on every word, purely because everything they said, it, it couldn't, if there was a script, it couldn't have gone any better, to be honest. Yeah. And that will be part of that documentary because somebody mentioned that a camera crept into shot during Rob's part of the, of, of the speech. Um, so I think that will have been filmed for the documentary. So you've, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you've got it from basically source. You know, you got it from the absolute beginning of this journey, um, and, and, and who knows where it where it will go. But yeah, just really nice, humble guys, and you know, because because you're not seeing how many other people were, were tuned in watching it, it, it literally felt like a private audience. It was yeah, yeah. It was odd. It was odd, and it's. It's one of those that I can look back in years to come and go, you know what, I was one of X, X amount of hundreds of thousands of people who got this private audience and who got to vote, you know, and there'll be, yeah. generations, there'll be generations of fans that, that come and go, wow, that must have been pretty bizarre. But yeah, it was bizarre, but, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, you know, also, it was also very privileged to be part of it as well. Mm. And I've asked you beforehand to get get your brain thinking so before we do move on to the other talking points i always like to ask who do you think the player past or present embodies the punk ethics for wrexham i'm going to go with mickey thomas and yeah i was trying to wrap my brains about this before and i was thinking why am i going to pick, pick mickey thomas um is it because of his rap sheet well yeah partly to do with that is it because <laughs> He's recently battled and beaten cancer. Yeah, possibly that as well. Is it the fact he looks 30, now he's 60 or whatever, whereas when he was in his late 30s playing for Rex, he looked 60. You know, it's just, <laughs> you know this is the guy who, who sort of doddled around a pitch in his, in his mid to late 30s with a mullet, didn't have a care in the world, um, didn't, and he just he just played like... You know, when you when you pick up a ball for the first time, when you when you you, you play with your friends in the street, it yeah, yeah. about that sort of youthful exuberance about it the entire time. Um, and I just love. I mean, he's, he's got a book. I can't remember what it's called. I have to find it. Something to. I can't remember what it's called. But I'm one of these people that I'll buy books and then it'll sit on the bookshelf for ages. And I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm the if same. I'm, if I'm if I'm really struggling, I'll pick it up. So anyway, I think I took Mickey's book with me abroad i tend to read a lot when i'm by a pool or something so and it was just fascinating the guy is absolutely fascinating um and i love the fact that when he and um joey jones is also another big Wrexham legend big liverpool legend they um got moved to chelsea um i thought great you know living living the high life in, in in london moved down there neither of them um agreed to move to London so they were they were going for training and they were going for games whilst traveling from you know the sort of the sort of most rural parts of North Wales I just thought you know I'm, know I'm not moving down there no I'm going to keep it real I'm going to st stick to my roots uh, but I mean Mickey's just he's just a character and yeah he's had a rap sheet he, you know, he got done for for uh, counterfeit money in the past <laughs> I still I've still got a, a, a a ten pound note, a photocopy ten pound note with Mickey Thomas's face and the Queen's head. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, and it's somebody I can't remember. It. I think it might have been linked to that, but 
Um, he was sitting in a car, I think he was in a car park or something. He got stabbed in the buttocks by somebody. Oh <laughs> I my god! Shouldn't laugh about it because it's not funny. But looking back, you can probably laugh and go, "It's just such a weird, wonderful career he's had." And he's such a nice guy. Um, but I just think he kind of embodies punk in, in, in the true sense of, of the spirit, really. In that he didn't care what anybody thinks about him. He still doesn't. You know, yeah. Whether it's the fact that, yeah, he went slightly off the rails a bit. Yes, it was. It was kind of like, probably like the sort of like a Welsh version of George Best, but minus the sort of alcoholism. I think, <laughs> um, just a really, really good guy, really good player, really nice. Um, you know, calls a spade a spade. Basically, he'll he'll, he'll not mess mm. about with his words. He's now a very well respected uh, pundit and, and commentator. And I just think, it, for me, in, in that sense, you know, I think I was if I was going to pick anybody to embody that, it would be him, just because of his yeah. of his attitude, not just to football but to life. You know, facing things head on, and you know, not letting anything get you down. He just he just picks himself up and, and, and keeps going and keeps going. And like I said, he's just got a funny sense of humour, um, down to earth. But yeah, I mean. I, if anybody's never heard of him, he's that guy that scored that free kick against Arsenal many years ago. That was yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. that was his um, his sort of peak um, moment, if you like, his more famous moment. But yeah, get his book. It's just it's one of those probably underrated or slightly over- overlooked football um, autobiographies. That's just yeah, every chapter you you know, you you'll read it and you'll get a few chapters further in. And you'll think, did I really read that or did I make that up? <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, there's, there's so many stories with him and I probably wouldn't do him justice here, but I would recommend um, definitely picking his book up and it'd be great. I mean, you know, somebody should do a movie about him. He's he's, um, he's mad. I'm just reading now, he's 66. He doesn't look 66. Yeah. Like I said, he looks 66 in the 90s. It's so bizarre. Time has been kind to him. Yeah. Well, you never know now with uh, with Robin Ryan <laughs> in, in there. Get get Mickey introduced to them. Could could have a buy up on, on your hands. Oh, it'll be very interesting conversation. Mickey speaks um quite fast. So <laughs> it'll be an interesting conversation. He's like a horse racing commentator. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, from from one punk to another, obviously in well, yesterday at the time of recording this, we heard the sad news that probably the biggest punk in football ever uh, Diego Maradona sadly passed um I thought it'd be remiss of us if we didn't mention this and bring this up and I think obviously whatever football outlet you read there's numerous stories about him but for obviously in English media sadly they're still running with the hand of God story as a focal point which I think is stupid but the reason obviously I wanted to talk about this a bit more is just to kind of highlight what an incredible person he was but have you got any specific like fond memories of his that, that always stick in your mind um i mean obviously as a as a as a proud welshman and, and the kind of the slight rivalry with with england now and again the, the hand of god thing is that is an obvious ob- yeah point, but one which has been done to death um if you excuse the poor pun there, but, um, but I mean, anything that's going to piss off Peter Shilton as much as it has done this past 24 hours. It's it, it, so like, that's the uh, funniest thing that's come out of this is just how angry he is. Absolute Tory gammon. 
And the, the beauty of it is he, he sort of tagged the interview he gave the Daily Mail and he's, he swiftly deleted it because people were saying, well, he's not even cold yet, Peter. And you're saying, yeah. well, forgive him. I don't think he's losing too much sleep up there over that. Um, but in terms of other memories, I think, I don't know, I think was it was it the 94 World Cup where he, he kind of his powers were on the way and I'm pretty sure he'd, he'd taken performance-enhancing drugs to get him through it or at least weight loss. Yeah. But I remember he scored... And I think it was a very dark blue Adidas um, Argentina. The, the run to the camera. Yeah, he just looked like yeah. an absolute psycho, didn't he? He looked more like, I don't know, Romario or something in the face. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just, it was one of those, and it? it was like pure aggression. Um, I've still got it. <laughs> no, no fucks whatsoever. And yeah, you know, it, people can say what they like. Yes, he, he developed a coke habit. Yes, his weight ruined. Yes, there was elements of certain political leanings, and then, then he obviously he sort of went to the left. Um, but as 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 an overall person, you know, he's he's a, he's an icon, isn't he? he, he yeah, he wouldn't necessarily say a style icon, but as an icon, you know, from from a, from a cultural standpoint, people will talk about him for many, 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 many generations to come. Um, you know, on that basis alone, but there's so many, there's so many um, moments that you could pick for him. Um, yeah, we didn't see enough of them, really. Thinking about it, um, there's probably a plenty in a Barcelona shirt. There's probably more in Napoli um, that we're not really aware of. Um, it's one of those that I should go digging for, really, and having a look. Mm. Um, obviously, a second goal versus England. I don't care whether it's England or whether it's Sweden. You could have stuck anybody in front of him on that run and he still would have dribbled past everybody. Um, oh, definitely. Especially to do it in the way he did it with that last roll from the left foot onto the right to pop it in. It's like, really? Did you did, <laughs> did you need to do that? You didn't need to do that. It's like the outfield version of, of a Penenka penalty, isn't it? It's like, you don't need to yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to do it because I will do it and I'll finish it. And then you can all talk about it in 30, 40, 50 years to come, which we are doing. Yeah. And I think just on on the Peter Shilton thing, literally before we jumped on this call, I saw something on Twitter. I didn't see the actual interview, but it was just like a um, a screen grab. So, so obviously everyone was like going on about like him still being really bitter over the hand of God and things like that. But there was an interview with him and Gaza on this morning, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And Gaza basically went... Peter, chill out. Like that moment made your career, which I thought was fucking brilliant. Apparently, Shilton's face was a picture. I mean, I've only seen yeah, a grab of it. He's just like stone cold, yeah, like but not it, happy. The thing is, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't vouch for this. I dare say Peter Shilton because on his Twitter thing, he's like, you know, if you need if you need to book me for after dinner speaking and all that sort of stuff, you can't tell me that Peter Shilton doesn't get paid. A decent sum of money to do an after after dinner speaker, and that question about Maradona does not come up. I'm almost yeah. sure he will talk about it. And if he's quite happy to make money talking about it, then maybe he should, you know, have a bit of grace and go, you know what? I mean, I think he's actually tweeted now, yeah, he's the greatest player I've played against, blah, blah, blah. However, sorry, Peter, you've already said I'll never forgive him. I don't think anybody really cares if you forgive him or not, you know. I mean, yeah. we can decipher it now and go. Well, you know, you were you were eight inches taller than than him, and you still 
didn't get there before him. So <laughs> depends yeah. depends on your point of view, really. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, well, Peter Shilton's got a lot to answer for. His recent yeah, haven't really helped his uh, his standing as a as a as a legend of English football. I don't think. Yeah, and just like for for my part, like obviously you've kind of mentioned the. Obviously, that second goal against England is something that will be forever sort of burnt in my my memory, sort of thing. But my personal sort of like highlight is is um, from the Italian ninety World Cup, and this was just like a little thing that I thought was incredible. So he was playing for Na- Napoli at the time, um, and Argentina got drawn against Italy in the I think it's the semi final. Yeah, it was the semi final. And basically, it was being played in Napoli, and Maradona basically went like to to the Naples faithful and was like, for three hundred and sixty four days of the year, like Italy treats you as like it's shithole. Basically, they don't treat you as Italians. So for why for one day of the year should you support them? You should support me. I am your your savior, essentially. And that game was really awkward because, like, there was conflicting views within the ground of, like, all these Napoli fans who are Italian wanting to support their nation. But at the same same time, they've got this godlike figure in their town who's won the Scudetto, like, on the field. So there's this really weird conflicting atmosphere in, in the ground. And it just shows, like the power of one player was able to have on the world stage. So, and I think like that goes to like the punkness of him. Like he, during a world cup, he turned around in Italy and basically stuck his fingers up to Italy and were like, Nope, I'm going to get your, your nationality to support me. So yeah, I think he's obviously he does have his flaws, but he's, he is going to be a player that is spoken for, for as long as the game is is played, I think. Yeah. I mean, people say flaw genius, um, but if you if your genius far overrides your flaws, then people are going to remember you for your genius, and the flaws by default become almost automatically these these sort of wonderful little moments. It's like Cantona. Cantona is a prime example. Such a great player. If he wasn't such a great player he would still be maligned for the Kung Fu kick episode. Yeah. But that kind of almost forms part of his um, his persona and, and his, his, his legend, if you like. You know, he had flashpoints. It's the same with Decanio. Everybody will remember the, the whole pushing over the referee. Yeah. And by the same token, you'll you remember his goal at Old Trafford when he did the sort of scissor kick for West Ham. So... I think for every you know for every flaw, there's always something that will override it, and I think that that's obviously in abundance for for Maradona. Yeah, and from one Barcelona player to another, so this was a story that I just <laughs> thought was fucking hilarious. So I had to bring it up. I found this very personal um, when when you when you sent it me. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> wow. So this is a thing that apparently Barcelona faithful are jumping on Anton Griezmann at the moment saying that the reason for his lack of form is the length of his hair, which I think is just fucking hilarious. Um, but he's then retorted and be like, no, I'm not going to cut my hair. My wife likes it, which I think is brilliant. 
But um, also, the fact that he scored in the Champions League this week as well, so he's justified for not cutting his hair. But, oh, yeah, I just thought this, like, these little stories that you see in football sometimes, I think, are just hilarious. So I thought I'd bring this to the table. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to what I said before, and that every football fan thinks they're an expert to the point you think the length of somebody's hair is affecting the game. I mean, what? I mean, a Barcelona <laughs> fan's now breathing the same air of Real, Real Madrid fans, you know. I mean, I, I'll, I'll never hold Madrid fans in high regard because of the way they treated Bale, but that's a separate thing. Coming back to, to Griezmann, <laughs> didn't Carl, Carlos uh, Puyol have long hair? Did that affect his um, performances yeah. for Barcelona? They probably wouldn't have dared to say that to Puyol because he was a lunatic, hard as nails. Great player, different position to Griezmann, yeah, but what a load of nonsense that is, you know. Yeah, I know. Shite. Um, and I, I'm on board with, with Griezmann. I fully back him because, you know, I'm full midlife crisis growing my hair out for the first time ever while I've still got it. So why not? You know what? It, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's not about shaving your hair off to make you more streamlined or any, any of this shite. I mean, it's just nonsense. Isn't it? I, I'd like to think whoever, whichever Barcelona fan was quoted as that or group of fans should be admonished and, and uh, basically you know, cast adrift by the club for such ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous comments. If they're struggling that much to hang something on Griezmann for a, a perceived lack of form, then you're going to have to do a lot better than, than blame it on his hairstyle or, or the length of his hair, I think. And I think it's funny that like he's... Obviously, somebody, some journalist has obviously asked him this question or put it to him sort of thing. And I th- think the reaction that he put is just brilliant. He's like, I haven't spoken publicly about my hair. It's just <laughs> like... Yeah, it's like he, he said, oh, I prefer to do my, my, my talking on the pitch and I never really come to matters. But enough is enough. You're taking the mick out of my hair. <laughs> yeah. It just won't do. It won't do. Not the colour of my hair, not, the, not my boots, not my various endorsements. Not my nationality, my hair. You can only assume on that he's very touchy about it. Um, probably hasn't helped himself really because people are just going to really jump on that now. Um, yeah, but <laughs> but you know, here's hoping uh, that when he when he scores a couple of goals, there's some sort of um, headbanging celebration. That'd be. Cool. I was going to say just like windmills or yeah, something. Yeah, definitely full on full Anselmo vibes. You know. <laughs> right, and one just kind of final thing before we move on. I think this is a. A, a nice ended story in over in Norway of, of all places. Um, I'm gonna, as become tradition on this show, I'm gonna butcher pronunciations. So it's Bodo Glimt. Um, they they've won the Norwegian title for the first time in their 104 year history. Now the reason like this is kind of a, of significance is a lot of like media have kind of said this is a similar sort of story to to Leicester City, but. It's also the point that they're the first team like from the Arctic region to have win one like a quote unquote major league. Um and yeah, I just like thought this was a really nice little story and just kind of reading a bit more about the club, like I thought it was a, a really cool thing and, and a, again little things endearing me to a club. For some weird reason, it's a, a joke that started in the 70s and still happens now, but the fans take giant yellow toothbrushes to the stadium, which, I mean, if you're going to do that, I'm always going to be fully on board. So, yeah, congrats to 
to Bodo and I just thought, yeah, I wanted to bring this to you just because I thought it was a nice little story. Yeah, I looked I looked at it and I saw the toothbrushes and I think at one point they had a massive, massive salmon in one of, in one side of their ground. Just like <laughs> yeah. it was like taxidermy on, on a on a huge scale, wasn't it? It was just so yeah. but yeah, really, really good story. I'm not sure it didn't it, the article didn't really mention much in terms of um if there was any financial help or anything like that. I didn't see anything in regards to it. Um but they get like you know modest amount of fans, I think it's like four thousand fans, which you know, if you stick it next to I can't think was it is is Bron be one of them? I can't I can't even think who Yeah, yeah. You know, there's probably small in comparison um in terms of the fan base. But yeah, it's it, it's good to see that, you know, um even the, the, the more isolated clubs, shall we say, can can have their day. And um they seem to have been have been mobilising quite nicely over the years, and they've finally got the mm. awards. And I think I think it might have been Trondheim, who's their neighbours, and if they come up next year to the same division, they will be even more further north, yeah, than, than they are. Um, so, but you look on the map and you think, oh, it's not that far, but it's still another eight hours further north. So it gives you an idea of scale of how big Norway actually is. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, great story um and you know it's one of those kind of bucket list ones i wouldn't mind going there um oh definitely buying a giant yellow toothbrush from the club shop <laughs> imagine packing that yeah. in case anything to declare <laughs> well <laughs> we've got this giant yellow toothbrush what for mm, i'm just gonna stick it on my wall i think <laughs> yeah and i think like i know they've had sort of uh like runs in like europa league qualifications and, and things like that and obviously still because of where the Swedish league isn't considered uh, necessarily elite league, they'll still have to go through qualifications for the Champions League next season. But being this team that is like on the Arctic border and so far north, you can imagine if they do get like a team that's of a higher ilk traveling there, then they could potentially cause upsets because this it will be an awkward place to go to, as you say. It's, it's so far away from like civilization in some aspects to like if you're coming from a big like European city, then you can't like you always root for the underdog in those aspects. So yeah, you'd like to kind of hope that's that's something that comes along. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it probably ties in. You know, going back to to my own club, really, in, in, in the sense that you've got this small town um community that you know hangs on the football club's every movement and every word so um it's nice for for for, for those smaller areas to to have a a bigger say on the footballing landscape you know why should the big boys have all the fun and have all the resources and, and finances it's nice and more than just the usual you know like in the uk we get the fa cup up upsets don't we every, every season yeah but if you can go beyond that, yeah, the Leicester City thing was was a was a nice story. But they still spent a fair bit of money. Let's let's not forget that fact. You know, you know, even things like Bournemouth going through the divisions and getting to the Premier League. Great story, great story for for Eddie Howe. It's 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 kind of looking at those different um, achievements that may not necessarily end in you know Champions League dominance or something, but can show that. Doesn't matter where you're from or, or 
you know, however many hard times your club may have stumbled upon, there's always there's always hope that you know there are good times ahead. Um, in yeah. one sense or another, whether it, you know prior to this takeover, us just getting out of the league would have been a good time ahead. Now we've got some financial clout incoming once the takeover is is, is finalised. You know that's become now a very real, um, not only a possibility but a real hope that that's going to happen in the short term. So. Good luck to them guys over there, and you know I can definitely share the, hopefully share the sort of same level of, of achievement in, in the in the near future from from a personal point of view. I think. Yeah, and just one final thing, like I saw in in the article that they, as part of their kind of like training regime or, or backroom staff, they've got a former Nor like Norwegian Air Force pilot who acts as their mental health coach and enforces group meditation at training, which I think is just fun. Like, if that's not Scandinavian in a nutshell, then I don't know what it is. But that's progression, isn't it? That's like, um, you know, it's, it's thinking outside the box. I mean, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Glenn Hodlin, the whole Eileen Drury thing, but that went a really bad mm. <laughs> the way he sort of described it. But you've you got to open yourself up to... to so the whole world of doing that it's not just about um getting getting the right results now and getting the, getting the players to train in a certain way you've got to really dig deep into the sort of the mental aspects what makes people tick what is making them feel down in the dumps you know because i know it's, it's easy for the cynical man in, in the street to say oh rashford you know he's he's on this wild sort of collision course with the government but he's made up he's got all his money blah blah, blah. however if you've got all those means and, you, and you're filthy rich, surely there has to be a point where you're sitting at home going, what else can I do? What else do I need to buy? Yeah. So there's that aspect of mental health as well that people um, <clears throat> almost are, are almost too easily to overlook just because somebody's in a privileged position doesn't mean they don't suffer the same sort of ailments as the rest of us. You know? As always on on this show, we like to shine a spotlight on a, a lesser known or non-league team. So each week, I ask my guests to, to bring a team to the table. So Tim, who is the team that you're bringing to the table? It's it's one I really should um, learn more about because it's it's a team that that's in the Wrexham area. It's not so much a team that exists in any sort of standalone league, if you like. But they're called Bellevue Football Club, basically. Mm. I was going to try and reel this off in my own way, but it's easier if I if I just read to you their own description on the website because I can't put it in there. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So basically, it, it, it's, it's come up. Um, it says, One Club, One People United. So Bellevue Football Club was first founded in 2016 at Bellevue Park in Wrexham, North Wales. Basically, Bellevue Park, big, nice park in the middle of town. It's lovely. Anyway. Um, the team was established with a goal to provide league football opportunities to those from perceived adverse backgrounds or those from backgrounds of social poverty. So the, clubs, the club works with people from BAME backgrounds, including refugees, asylum seekers, economic and education migrants. Bellevue is fully inclusive and also offers opportunities to local people with mental health issues, learning difficulties, people with minor disabilities and everyone else who's ever experienced a barrier participating in the sport in the area. So... That, in a nutshell, is what Bellevue are all about. They, they welcome 
asylum seekers, migrants, um, people who settled in the area but have not necessarily found it difficult to integrate with people in the town. So they're essentially a club that have said, you're from that background, you're from that background. There may well be a language barrier, but you know how to play football. So let's play yeah. football. Yeah. So it's just, uh, I mean, the guy who kind of runs it, a guy called Delwyn Derrick, he won a, an award recently for like the inclusivity part of it, I think. Um, just a really good club. I mean, there's not a massive amount to tell you at the moment because they haven't been going for that long. Um, other than the fact that, you know, from a sort of, um, sorry, my dog's whinging, by the way. Nah, <laughs> right. Flying in the background. Um, yeah, you know, in that sense, they're, they're, just, they're just a club with a lot of, um, what's the word? I just love, I just love what they stand for. You know, the, the ethos yeah, of yeah. they created that club. Um, and the fact that they, you know, Wrexham now is now reflected in the sense that it's now multicultural. There's a lot of Polish people, there's a lot of Bulgarian people. There's people from all walks of life here now. Um, you know, and the question is there, you know, did you come over here? What was the issues you had back at, at home? You know, everybody's welcome here. And the fact that the club exists for that purpose and to, you know, get people from that have had difficult um, starts to life you know, whether it's childhood or adult life, to get them here and to get them integrated, to get them settled in the area, um, can only be a good thing, you know. So mm. hopefully that they will grow that out. Um, I just think I just think it's it's a really they they've gained a lot of ground so far. Um, but again, it's it's one of those that yeah exists, but I think because sometimes it's almost so easy to keep your your mind on Wrexham as my my key team. It, sometimes easy to take your eye off the ball what's happening elsewhere but i think yeah all of you from from that point alone uh are worthy of of, of, of anybody's um attention i think you know mm. long may it continue but the fact that they founded a, a club based on a park in the middle of town to to get um you know um, migrants and asylum seekers involved and integrated then you know hats off I can yeah can't really speak too highly of them really and i think like it's that kind of similar to with like like not just punk music but music in general is like it's like a universal language and football is kind of a similar thing in that like as you say you can be from like bulgaria poland romania wherever like you're probably going to know about football or even support like your local team from from that country sort of thing so and you'll probably know how to kick a ball in some aspects so it is that like even if you're not a playing member of this club like it seems like they're creating a safe space for you to go along and watch football like, I, as you say i know it's just like a park in the in the town sort of thing but like people still go along to like sunday leagues and stuff to watch like their mates and stuff so if you've got like i don't know like your brother or whatever and like you maybe not necessarily feel safe going to a bigger ground, then this is a place for you to go. It's like a really, really cool thing to do. Yeah, and I think it's still relatively small and off the top of my head, but, you know, that can only grow. That can only grow, and I think they've had, they've had a few matches. Um, you know, the shot has been, has been shone on them by various... I think they did, like, a celebrity thing. I can't think off the top of my head. It's one of those I, I kind of knew I wanted to speak about it, but I didn't want to. I, I don't want to say any of this, that, and the other because I don't. But you know, it's definitely something that I want to keep an eye on and, and mm. see how they progress, really. But 
you know, for, for pure, you know, if, if you really strip it back from that basis alone, I just think it's a really, really, really good reason for a football club to exist. If nothing else comes from it, then at least, you know, these guys are getting a chance to kind of make friends, settle in and, and know that, you know what, um, you're welcome here. It doesn't matter yeah. where, where you're from, what's happened in the past. We'll welcome you with open arms and consider you one, one of our own. It's as simple as that. Mm. And I think like on a bigger scale, like I mentioned it on, on last week's show, like St. Pauli have kind of got a an art like it's a like a subsidiary club that kind of runs a similar thing. And I think on a bigger scale, like we should be seeing more more clubs doing something like that in terms of like obviously the the end game would be to see the players from all backgrounds on the pitch anyway. But unfortunately said his life that's not gonna happen overnight. But if you've got clubs like Bellevue that like I don't know, I'm thinking like hypothetically here, but like when things become a bit clearer after like COVID, maybe build up a bit of a relationship with Wrexham because like okay, like this takeover is going on, but obviously I know the fans are still going to have a big part of Wrexham. But so if there's kind of some connection there, like they do like a charity game or something, and you kind of hope that these sort of little spurts build elsewhere as well and kind of help grow those smaller clubs, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, it can, it can only help um, both clubs, really, if they have some sort of tie-in together. Um there may well be one, but I'm not sure if there, if there is. But I'm, I'm sure that that the, the club will help Bellevue and, and, and vice versa. You know, if we if we can get them integrated into the club, I'm sure I'm, I dare say that the club have probably given out tickets to them in the past and, and welcomed them to the to the games. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, going forward, it, it, surely there's going to be opportunities there to to help um, Bellevue as well, kind of grow what they're about, what their ethos is, and. And you never know, you know, a neighbouring village elsewhere might go, that's great. We've got 30 guys here from, from Bulgaria that are kind of like, you know, keep themselves to themselves, but they want to get involved in different things, but maybe they don't feel too accepted somewhere or, you know. So there could have that, there could be that domino effect. Somebody's got to start it somewhere. Um, mm. Guys have started it. So, yeah, I think I think we're, we're going to see a lot more to, to come from them, hopefully. And um yeah, like I said, it's 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 still very much, I think, in in its infancy. But you know, the the sort of the foundations and and the uh, the attitude is there for them to uh, to really sort of make a difference to the community. Really. Cool. So, how we always like to round off the show is where we bring a bit of fantasy into the show and literally the the name of the podcast we bring punks onto the pitch so i ask my guests to come up with a starting 11 of musicians people in bands or whatever to make up their team so tim what is the name of your team i'm gonna go with uh, burton's bell bottoms united and i've just <laughs> I've pulled that one off the top of my head i'll tell you why in a bit but burton's cool. bell bottoms united nice uh, have you got a formation? I've got four four two. I've gone straight forward. Just a simple four four two. Nice. Right. We always start in goal. So who have you got between the sticks? <laughs> in goal, I've got Chuck Billy from Testament. Okay. 
Why? A, because he's a unit. B, because I can see him barking orders left, right and centre. Um, I reckon his distribution would be good for throw-ins because he's always stalking the stage with that sort of half mic stand. So, yeah, I've gone with Chuck <laughs> Billy. And I think um, I think he'd look the part in goal. Like, spit like yeah. even Pampos, he'd look good in goal. <laughs> right, who's your back four? Back four, left back. I've got Freaky Franz from Turnstile, just because he's, he's agile, um, he's rangy. Um, I reckon he'd, I just reckon he'd make a good baller, you know. Um, yeah, I can imagine him like galloping down the wing as well. Yeah, I just I just think he could be like a converted left back that will bomb on forward and, and sort of yeah. supply some supply some ammunition in the box. So I've gone for him at left back. Um, right back. Um, I don't know why I went for this, but I'm going to go for it now. I'm going to go I'm straight up. Gone for Ray Bussey from Knuckle Dust. Why? <laughs> because you know why not? Ray loves his footy. He's a hammer, isn't he? Um, I just think I just think he'd be. Yeah, he's, he's not he's not short, but you know, he, I just think he'd, he'd be half decent there for no other reason that a. Do you just think he'll be good? B. Yeah, I just think he's, he's a lovely guy, Ray. But I think he, he could, when he's on the pitch, I reckon he could probably turn into a nasty little shit. So I'm going to stick Ray in it right back, and and he'd be one of those terriers, wouldn't he? He wouldn't want anybody. Yeah, yeah. Sort of horrible little player. So I'll have him there. Um, centre back. Oh, I don't know. I'm looking at these centre-backs now and I'm thinking they might be immobile, but depending on, on what era we're talking. Anyway, centre-back. Kirk Winstein from Crowbar stroke down. Um, yeah. Again, solid, um, dependable, but I'm probably going early era Crow, Crowbar. Cause I was going to say, maybe not so much now. <laughs> not so much now. I'd like him with a beard back then, though. Even better, you know. But I think it, he, he would be you know, your solid beast sort of at the back. Yeah. Line. Matic uh, style horrible defender to, to get past um, and alongside him uh, I've gone for Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard um, again, I mean them two together would be yeah, fucking like a brick wall pretty formidable I'd say obviously looks the part with them um, with his tats um, but yeah I, th- I, th- I think Evan, I mean, I, Evan's not he's quite ripped to be honest thinking about it. he's always looked after himself so yeah. I think he'd be alright my only issue with Evan, he'd probably get, he'd probably be partial to a few red cards. I think. <laughs> oh, most definitely. You know, well, I've seen, I've seen his um, his acting career as well, and uh, yeah, he can be a bit of a hard nut. So, yeah, we might be risking it. Um, so yeah, midfield, you ready for the midfield? Yeah, go for it. Uh, so left side of midfield, I've gone for Bill Ward, Black Sabbath. Nice. On the pure basis that I think he's probably the coolest member of Sabbath. And people forget how cool he was. He looked cool without a beard. He looked cool with a beard. He's a really good drummer. And I just think he could sort of direct people in that sense. He's got good rhythm. He's probably got low sense of gravity, decent feet. And I reckon he probably wouldn't have the pace, but I reckon he could probably, you know, dazzle a few people, knock it inside, and maybe yeah, yeah. as and when. So central midfield, there's <laughs> a bit of a flow here. So central midfield, Harley Flanagan, Cro-Mags. Nice. I've, I've, for some reason, I had a feeling you were going to pick Harley. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was in an hour in about Harley, but I'm going to go with Harley because you've got spine then. You've got Evan, you've got Harley, you've got the New York hardcore sort of fraternity. Yeah. Both bold, fearsome warriors. And let's face it, Harley's Cro-Mags are far better than the others. So, oh, strong. No, it's not even controversial. It's not up for debate. It's just a fact. 
So Harley gets the vote in central mid, alongside in Devin Townsend. Oh, okay. Like Devin Townsend, creativity. See yeah. where I've gone there. So you need a creative midfielder, and I don't, I can't find any other people that are none more creative than Devin Townsend. I mean, he's just a musical genius. So if he's as good as he is at music as he is at football, or the other way around, good at football if he's music, then I think he would be quite savvy with the ball, pulling out passes, picking off runs that you know, people might not know. So I think him and Harley, you got... I was going to say, if you've got him with Harley, though, Harley's going to be yeah. like the one putting in the tough tackles and yeah. then Devin's yeah. going to be the one spraying the ball around. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be mopping up and Devin will just be like looking like some sort of midfield maestro, you know, sort of. Yeah. So I think them too, but... Yeah, so that leaves me with right midfield. I've gone for Mike Muir, suicidal tendencies. Nice. Um, and you know what? I could, the only reason I went for Mike Muir is, I think, speed. And I was just about um, to say, he's just going to be running around all over the Yeah, place. literally. I mean, we've all seen him when he comes onto the stage, you know. Plus, I like the fact that if, if, um, if the team were to go 1-0 down, I imagine Mike would say, what the hell is going on around here? <laughs> I just think that would be good. <laughs> So I think that would be a good shout. Slightly cheesy, but I just thought of that. Um, so yeah, Mike Muir, with, complete with bandana. You'd have to wear a bandana. You know? Yeah, of course. It'd, it'd have to be like, whatever the kit would be, it'd have to be like whatever to match the yeah. kit. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you'd, you'd get the badge on it as well. That, that would fly through the Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that would work. Um, up front, I've gone for Johnny Morrow, Iron Monkey, rest in peace. Okay. Um, I just think, he would be terrifying to defenders. He was terrifying yeah. on stage. Um, lovely guy, but Christ, give him a microphone, terrifying, would command everything. So I'm applying that same mantra with give him the football, he'll command the box from an aerial point of view. He'll have decent feet, strong. You're not going to shrug him off easy. Um, and the, the perfect foil for him would be who the team is named after, which is Cliff Burton, Metallica. Again, rangy, leggy, maybe a bit lightweight, but you need that sort of right balance of power and panache. And I think yeah. Burton's always going to have the panache. Um, he'll do the donkey work. He'll, he'll knock it in tomorrow. Morrow will just shrug people off and just, and just poke it away. But with Burton, you've got the height. So, you know, ammunition into the box. He's going to get you run on the defenders and power a few headers away. So... Yeah, Morrow and Burton up top. Perfect. I've got to say this. We've so we've had some quite like hard looking defenses so far, but I think this is maybe the meanest overall team we've had so far. <laughs> well, you know, I thought do you go for grit, guile, or you know, full on silky skillness? But I want a defense to look like a defense. I'm not. I'm not yeah. bothered about you know what you're going to look like on Instagram afterwards. So you've got, you know, <laughs> Freaky Franz, Ray Bussey, Kurt Winstein and Evan Seinfeld. <laughs> Part of me wants to sort of um, Photoshop those four guys together on the picture just to see what it would look like anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty, um, pretty mean, pretty mean, I think. Perfect. Brilliant. Tim, thank you very much for, for your time. Before I do let you go, do you want to shout out your, your fanzine and where people can, can reach you? Yeah, it's um, at Fearless ID Zine. So it's short for Fearless in Devotion. So at Fearless ID Zine. And website's fearless.wales, but I need to update that a bit more. Um, 
But yeah, that's really about it. Everybody should check out the Killer Be Killed album, which we've already discussed, yes. but people really need to check it out. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, really appreciate your time, and let's hope we'll see Wrexham climbing up the leagues in the next couple of years. Yeah, it'd be nice. And it, it's, we're, six, we're six at the moment, so you know anything above that in this division is great. So we'll see. So happy days. <laughs> Perfect, Tim. Thank you very much for your time, mate. No worries. Cheers. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye.